0: a relative in our family that um, frequented the doctor's office. In fact, she had really a very, very contentious relationship with doctors. She'd be at a doctor for a little while, and then he would usually say something like this, Ma'am, your problems are all in your head. She would fire him and go get another doctor. And that happened in my lifetime numerous times. I remember towards the end of her life, I was called in. I was meeting with the doctor, family, part of the family was there. And he looked at me, and he said something I had never heard before. He said, she doesn't need to die. The reason she is dying is because it's all in her head. I realized then, I was fairly young. I realized then the power of the mind is an amazing tool that can serve us well or can take us out. And for my grandmother on that day, the doctor said she really has no medical reason why she's dying. It's all in her head. Over the years, I've seen that in the spiritual life. It's not that people don't have maladies. It's not that they don't have difficulties. But sometimes... People concoct things in their head in ways that it's like they they concoct how people feel about them or a story that's going around or whatever the case may be. And they'll come in and see me and I will reflect back on the words of that doctor that he told me that day. And I'll try and say it in as polite a way as I can. It's all in your head. Because when something is in our head, it begins to affect very deeply the way we live. In fact, scripture says, as you think, so you are. So what you think is going to be really critical. Because as you think, that's going to flesh out the way you live, how you respond, how you interpret life, how you see people. And oftentimes, actually, how you even interpret what words that people say. Sometimes somebody will say something and because of the grid, the way you think, you receive it as an insult when they don't really mean it that way. And the fact is, is it's all in the head. Paul's writing to a group of people who are accusing him of kind of being an intellectual lightweight. Uh, They were saying things like, Paul, you're not really an apostle. You didn't spend time with Jesus. You didn't walk with him. You really don't have anything to say. And by the way, you really can't speak your way out of a hat. You're not all that powerful when it comes to speaking. I mean, let's be honest. Apollos is much better. When it comes to, um, you know, Jewish heritage and lineage, I mean, Peter's got you beat on that one. And so the fact is, Paul, (laughs) they were trying to find a way to, well, why don't you just be silent? Now, there's nobody, there's not a person in this room that wouldn't be offended if somebody said to you, man, I'm telling you what, you are a few sandwiches shy of a picnic. You're just stupid. Oh. The, the, the most, you know, disconnected individual in the world would be probably offended by that. Innocent, not a problem. Naive and stupid, that's a problem. And they were coming to Paul and they were saying, you know, Paul, we have a wisdom that far exceeds yours. And so therefore, you're kind of an intellectual lightweight. Why don't you just leave us? We can manage ourselves. This issue of the mind, Paul concludes with this statement, but you have the mind of Christ is a powerful statement. It's not you should get the mind of Christ, but you have it. The question is, what do you do with it? How does it affect you? And what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? The church has a longstanding good history defending the doctrine of inspiration. What is that? It's merely the belief, and I stand very squarely with it, is that what is in the text of scripture is God-ordained. It's God-inspired, and therefore it says what God intended it to say. Not less, not more, nothing more than what God wanted and not less. And though he utilized broken and sinful people, as Evie Hill once said, if God can't take a crooked stick and draw a straight line, then he ain't God, but he can. And he took Peter and Paul and Mark and others and he wrote this scripture and he says all scripture is inspired by God. And the church, though it's coming under heat today, has longstanding, our church certainly has, longstanding support and belief in the doctrine of inspiration. There's another doctrine in relation to the scripture that we don't spend as much time on. It's a little more elusive and it's a little harder to get our hands around. It's the doctrine of illumination. It is the belief that the Holy Spirit takes the words of Scripture and illumines them. It clarifies. It gives us understanding. And what Paul was writing to was a group of people who were saying, we have a, a wisdom far superior to yours. And Paul was suggesting there is no wisdom that competes, not with mine, but with God's. And if you want to understand spiritual truths, if you want to understand the scripture, then you have to understand the dance between you and the work of the Holy Spirit because the only way this is going to take on meaning is if you understand the doctrine of illumination. How does God take this word and clarify it to this mind? Because it's all in the mind when the mind has been touched by the heart. Where does he begin? He begins in this text with this truth. The spirit of God has a passion to reveal the heart of God to you. Now we speak, speak of God's secret wisdom. Wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. He goes on in verse 9, he says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And and here's a line, and, and just underline this. But God has revealed to us by his spirit. Because the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Now here is God's truth to us. He has a passion for you to know him. He has a passion for you to know his heart. He has a passion to know the things of his character. He has a passion for you to know the things of his value system. God has a passion for you to know the things that matter to him, the things that deeply wound him. God has a passion and he has chosen, Paul says, not to reveal that wisdom from the street, but only from the spirit of God. In fact, that is one of the primary responsibilities of the spirit is to reveal God's heart to you. And by the nature of the spirit, he's the one that can do it. Why? Well, let me give this ever so broken illustration. If you were to put me on a slab and dissect me today and kind of take out the parts and you could take a lung and say, is this the essence of Mark? And everyone would say, "No, no, no. He, we can replace that one." You could even go down to my heart. You could pull my heart out and say, "Is this the essence? I mean, the heart of the matter. Is this the essence of Mark?" Well, the fact is, no. You could take that part, that heart, discard it, go get a pig, throw it in there, and we'd be fine. A lot of medication, but you know, the reality is, the essence of who I am would still exist. You can take virtually all of these organs, replace them. And you haven't changed the essence of who I am. Why? Because the essence of who you are is not in your parts. It's not in your organs. It's in what? Your spirit. And that's why the scripture says that it is the spirit of God that has a passion to do what? To reveal the heart of God to you. God doesn't want you walking around unaware of his passion, unaware of his desire, unaware of his character, unaware of his desires towards you and towards the world. God wants you to know. And he sent the spirit, the scripture says, but God has revealed it to us. Revealed what? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But he sent the spirit. So that you might what? Understand. Later he says it really clearly, a little farther down in verse 12. He says, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God. So that we might understand what God has freely given to us. Now here's the truth that's really important. Paul is saying that the only way you're going to understand the heart of God It's through the spirit of God. and If you don't have the spirit of God, you're not going to understand the heart of God. That's why Paul made sure that we understood that not only is the passion of the spirit to reveal the heart of God, but the spirit of God comes into you for one of its reasons is so that he can reveal to you the heart of God. The scripture is really clear that if you are a follower of Christ this morning, you have the Spirit. It's not that you have 50% of it and you can get more. You have it all. 1 Corinthians 12 says we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. John 14 says. 16 says that we have received the Spirit, the indwelling permanent residence of the Spirit has taken up his place in you. Why? To reveal the heart of God. John chapter 16 says it this way, the Spirit will guide you into all truth. See, for the Christian, it's really critical for you to understand that if you're going to get the scriptures, if you're going to understand them, if you're going to be able to apply them, if they're going to shape the way you live and think, It's not going to be because you have a grasp of the Greek and of the Hebrew. It's not because you are a great studier and know how to parse certain verbs. It's because the spirit of God comes into you and illuminates and teaches you and guides you into the truth of God's word. Now, I understand that a lot in the Christian circle have taken this passage and created all kinds of kind of abusive things about it in the role of the spirit. But actually, probably more of us in this room, at least from where I came from, we we actually, we don't even have a doctrine of illumination. We have a doctrine of hermeneutics. What's that? The study and the science of interpretation. We don't have a concept, a thought. We, we, we know that to understand a text, you have to know the cultural background of the text. You have to know the grammatical background of the text. You have to know the contextual background of the text. And we're taught all of that. That's what you go to school for. And I'm not disagreeing with that. That's all good stuff, but that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying that if you want to understand the spiritual truths of God and the spiritual words of God. And if you want to get the secret things of God, namely Christ. That's only going to be revealed when the spirit of God comes in you. And it's the passion of the spirit to teach you. Not only to teach you about God's heart, but to teach you about God's truth. They were arguing, where does wisdom come from? Paul, you're not as smart as Apollos. You're not as skilled as this person. And Paul steps back and says, Guys, you're asking the wrong question. Who's smarter, Paul or Apollos? He goes, That's irrelevant because you're still talking about wisdom from the streets. He says, no, the wisdom of God, the spirit of God wants you to know the truth of God and that wisdom comes from God. That's not from the brilliance of Paul or the eloquence of Apollos. It's from God. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And we have not received, verse 12, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may what? Understand the things given to us by God. For the longest time, oh, maybe the last 20 years plus, we've been talking about this issue of relativism. It's hit today's campuses. And and it's hit the intellectual circuit. And it believes that there are no absolute truths in this world. That everything is relative. Uh, The reality is, that's not come from college campuses in the last 20 years. If you go back 1968 to a book written by Bloom, not a Christian. He makes the case in the book, The Closing of the American Mind. That... Truth as a pursuit left to the university well before 1968. Universities long before 1968 gave up the idea. That there is a truth of which we can know, there is a truth of which we can pursue, there is a truth by which I live my life, be it a definition of marriage, be it a definition of gender, be it a definition of sexuality, be it a different definition of who I should and can have sex with. All of that was eroded as an absolute truth long before Bloom suggests his book was written in 1968. I'm not, I'm saddened by it because I think it's untrue, but I'm not surprised by it. I'm not surprised that we can go to virtually any college campus today other than a Christian one and have complete eradication of the belief that there is a true truth of which you can pursue. What I'm saddened more by is the church. That is, in some ways, reflected the college campuses believing that truth is relative, truth is subjective, based upon the certain, you know, certain circumstances. And and it sounds like this. Well, Pastor, if you only understood, in other words, if you can understand what I face and the context, then you wouldn't judge wrongly what I'm doing. Our place, our beginning, oftentimes in the debate, is not a wisdom and a truth that comes from God, but an explanation of my circumstances, therefore justifying my behavior. That's relativism. I expect it from the University of Oregon State or University of Oregon. I expect it from, you know, wazoo or or just name the college I expect it from Willamette what I don't expect it from is in this creasing measure that you hear it from the church where we want to lead not with the wisdom of God but actually with what the rationalization of my behavior because of the context of my life Paul says the Spirit of God wants to reveal the truth of God, and there is a truth that exists, and it is revealed in God's Word, and it comes from God. And you and I, as followers of Christ, are given the privilege to see what God has prepared. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. What is He prepared? Let's read on a little bit. Verse 12, I think, is where Paul begins to elaborate on this. He says, we've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. What has God freely given us? What has God prepared for those who love him? That, by the way, seems horribly foolish to the world. See, the world doesn't understand true justice. It doesn't. It doesn't get the idea that a holy God could be offended. They simply believe that a holy God should be what? Excusing. He's holy, we're not. He should say, ah, it doesn't matter. I just like the way you're trying. And, and, and it seems foolish to them that there would be a God who would have a standard and hold people accountable. Why does it seem foolish? Because we have a world that simply cannot bear the weight of holding anyone accountable. And so, to have a God who created the heavens and the earth that would hold us accountable and understand that when a person sins, it separates them from a holy God—that that to the world seems foolishness. Because, as one person said, "Why can't, if God so loves us so much, why can't God just choose to forgive us?" Maybe it's because God is holy. Maybe it's because God understands that there's a debt. Maybe it's because God understands that when you sin against a holy God, there's a debt that must be paid. And maybe what God has prepared so graciously is the payment of that debt, which you and I can't afford to pay. You see, only spiritual truth understands that there is a holy God who was sinned against, and he decided to send his son into this world. And how he did it was no less than Strange. See, God wanted to make sure that his son, who was sinless from eternity past, could enter into this world sinless. And so he came to a woman and he touched that woman by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he impregnated her just simply with the touch of the Holy Spirit. I understand the world thinks this guy has lost his mind. I hear people who are on higher than a kite on weed and don't talk this crazy. I get that. That's what Paul said. If you want to be respected by the world, if you want the world to go, oh, wow, you are really bright. Don't follow Jesus. Because they're going to laugh you straight out of the campus. Because you're going to suggest that there was a God who was holy, who had a separation from people. And rather than condemning them to a lifetime penalty of hell said, I will die for you. I will forgive you so that you can spend eternity with me. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to send my son and I'm going to touch a woman and I'm going to impregnate her with the seed of my son. And he is going to live on this earth, God in the flesh, and he's going to die. And that death on the cross is going to be freely given to you if you'll receive it. I've shared that with some really, really tough people. The kind of people that if I was going to war, I'd want them next to me. The kind of people, if I was in a dogfight, I'd want them with me. But they think I've lost my mind. And they've said things like, you know, Mark, you don't make sense to me. On the one hand, I know you like this, and I know the things you do, and, I, and, and, and yet then you, you believe this silliness? Yes. Why? Because the Spirit of God revealed it, and you only know it by the power of the Spirit. You'll never gain it by the wisdom of this world. And Paul goes on to say the Spirit not only gives us the privilege to see what God has prepared, but the Spirit enables us to embrace and understand God's distinctive truth, the Scriptures. He says in verse 14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. Flip that. The man of the Spirit, the woman of the Spirit, does accept the things from God. The implication is the only way you're ever going to accept this as the word of God is if the spirit of God has entered you. It's one of the telltale signs that a person is a follower of Jesus, Paul says, because he said to the Thessalonian church, uh, you received these words from us, not as the mere words of men, but the very words of God. What is the implication? The implication is this. Sometimes you're having conversations with a person and you're trying to help them understand the spiritual truths of the scripture. Like there's power in suffering, like I can help you understand why a good and glorious Glorious God allows really horrific things to happen to good people like I can help you understand why God allows really really wicked people sometimes to succeed Uh, like uh, I can help you understand some things not because I'm wise but because the scripture has unpacked that for me but here's the deal sometimes you're having these conversations with people and you have to realize they're not going to get it. They're not going to get it. Why? Because Paul says these concepts, these spiritual concepts, like the gift of Christ, like power through the cross is only perceived and only understood when what? The spirit of God takes up residence and transforms you and saves you and gives you the mind of Christ. Because it's only with the mind of Christ that you're going to understand the things of Christ. And it's only with a heart that has been touched by the power of Christ, the Spirit of God, that you're going to be able to understand the things of God. The fact is, the Spirit does reveal God's truth. The Spirit passionately wants you to know the heart of God. And this is not to set up an arrogance or an elitism at all, but there are simply the greater truths of Scripture that are never going to be understood by a person if they don't have the Spirit of God in them. You're trying to take a fleshly mind and a dead heart and help them to understand spiritual truths. Paul says you can't do it, it's impossible. They have to be enlightened by the spirit of God that they might know the heart of God and they might know the truth of God. Does that mean that you and I have no part in this? Not at all. The reality is we do participate with the spirit in the process of gaining wisdom. We do participate with the spirit of God in the process of illumination. Through a couple of means. Number one is through what I would call just the practice of discipline. There is a dance. There is a relationship between you and the Holy Spirit that begins to move. And, and maybe this might be helpful. is, is um, I think in the farming community, you can see this. I, I grew up in the farming community. I grew up working for uh, the guy that I worked for for a long, long number of years. Just happened to pass away in the, in the most uh, recent couple of weeks. When I worked for him, he was the largest grass seed grower in in the valley, I think in the U.S. Clarence was a godly man. He was. attended church in town in Corvallis. and And I never knew him once to go out and look at the soil and said, you know what, God? I want you to grow me the best, you know, crop of wheat this year that you could ever imagine. He never did that. What he did is what every farmer who understands anything about life is he tilled the soil, he prepared it, made sure it had the right balance between all of the different elements of the soil, and then he planted the weed into it, and, and the God watered it, and God grew it. And Clarence never felt like it was a him or God. He fully understood. That apart from God, this world doesn't work. But that doesn't negate his participation. I think that's the way it is for you. It is only through the power of the Spirit that you're ever going to grasp the things of God. It is only through the power of the spirit that you're ever going to understand spiritual truth. But that doesn't negate your participation any more than for a farmer. They get to sit in the living room, look out over the dirt and say, hey, God, grow me a crop. It would be like you closing your Bible and say, hey, God, give me understanding of the word. You got to interact with it. You got to spend time with it. but I want to give you a prayer to pray. If this text is true, and I believe that it is, I want to give you a prayer to pray. And the prayer goes something like this, Holy Spirit, it is your passion to reveal to me the heart and the truth of God. And as I spend time in the word this morning, would you supernaturally do in my life what only you can do? That I might understand and accept and believe and practice what you teach me. My friend, I would ask you to pray that prayer every day Holy Spirit, I'm about to encounter the living Word of God, and it is your passion. Scripture says it is your passion to reveal to me the heart of the Father and the truth of the Father and for me to understand spiritual truths and spiritual words. And the Father says in John 16 that you will guide me into all truth. And so as I open the word this morning or tonight, would you teach me? It's gonna take discipline. My wife and I frequently during the day will have conversations where she'll call me or I'll call her. They're usually very short. I don't believe in long phone calls. Um, They're always very, very pragmatic, to be quite honest with you. Very functional. Um, When are you coming home? Do you have a deacon meeting? Is it going to be long? Is it going to be really long? I mean, um, what are we doing tomorrow? I mean, it's just, that's the nature of that 30 second phone call. Never once has she called me and in one of those 30 second phone calls, honey, I wanna share with you the deep things of my heart. I'd probably drop the phone and say, honey, there's something wrong with the phone. It just broke, sorry. (laughs) We, We don't do that in 30 second phone calls. Nobody does. 30 second phone calls are for what? Functional, pragmatic things. They're marvelous. You're in the grocery store. Go to a grocery store. And, and if there's a guy in the grocery store, he's on the phone. Just saying. What was it that you wanted me to do? There's 75 different olive oils. Which one do you want? It's very pragmatic. It works. It's how the world goes around. Once in a while, my wife will go for a drive or we'll just sit out in the back or we'll just, uh, we'll do something. And it's not 30 seconds, it's maybe a couple of hours, maybe an hour. It's there she begins to share her delight, her frustrations, her hopes. It's the same way with you and the Father. It is only through the power of the Spirit that you're going to understand the things of God. But my friend, it can't be a 30-second hit with God in the morning. It has to be a time where you linger a little longer and you ask the Holy Spirit, would you teach me? I don't mean to say this in a judgmental way. I don't. But I want to be honest with you. Some of you have been around our church for years, 10 years, 20 years. And to be quite candid with you, you have the same attitude that you had 10 years ago. You're mad at the same people. You have the same value system. You spend your money exactly today the way you did 10 years ago. Nothing has functionally changed. You've read through the Bible, but you've never asked the Holy Spirit to read through you. The doctrine of illumination is is not just the passion of God that you might know his heart. It is the practice of the spirit that he comes into your life and he enlightens, he illumines, he discloses the truth and the heart of the father, which God longs to do. But my friend, you're never going to do it if you have 30 second conversations with God. You have to choose to linger and to pray and to let the word soak. It's going to take discipline. That's where you participate with the spirit in the process of gaining wisdom. There's another thing that I think you can do, and that is called the discipline of removal. It's called sin. And it does in your life what plaque does in the arteries of a person's body. Sometimes plaque chips off. And it enters into the bloodstream. And it does something that you just don't want to have happen. And that is it blocks the blood flow. It's called a stroke. I found this on the web. And sometimes... You know what I'm thinking, don't you? Yeah, me too. Sometimes when that plaque chips off, it squeezes the artery. It ceases the blood flow to the brain. And some people say the only thing worse than having a severe stroke is surviving. Sometimes sin enters into the veins of your life. And the scripture says that we quench the Holy Spirit. Put a tight strand around his work in our life. It's not that you don't have the spirit of God. You do. If you're a follower of Christ, you've been baptized by the spirit of God. He's in you. But sometimes sin in our lives constricts that. And you can even check it off. You can read through the Bible in a year. But unless the Holy Spirit is taking that word and you're accepting it, you're receiving it, you're learning from it, you're discovering the glory and the strength of God, then, my friend, you're going to go another 10 years. When we were singing through that song, The Great I Am, I really felt like the Lord was saying, if my people will believe this, I will free some of them. I will free them from bondage that they're in. I will free them if they will trust me. The discipline of removal is to remove the sin And the plaque that can build up in our lives that constricts the Holy Spirit. That can cause a person to read the Bible over and over again and never change. Or they can read it and not understand. And miss. That when the Spirit of God comes into you, you have the mind of Christ. but if you allow sin to reside. Now, you can't get rid of it. You don't have that kind of power. It's way above your pay grade. But here's another prayer that I give to you. Lord Jesus, I want to hear you today. I want your spirit to have complete access to my mind. So, Lord Jesus, once again, would you apply the blood of Christ to me that I might be forgiven? And might be an open conduit of your grace today. I'd encourage you to pray that prayer every day. And by the way, some of you here today, you're not a follower of Christ. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm just here to say, maybe that's the reason why you read the Bible and think this stuff doesn't make sense. I'm just here at this church because there's a guy that I think is really good looking and I'd like to get married or I'm just at this church because I don't have any peace in my life and I'm kind of hoping that I can find it here. If you want to understand the deeper truths of God, what he's given to us in Christ, then you have to understand that it's through the Spirit of God that the truth of God is revealed to our hearts. It's only through the Spirit of God that the truth of God is revealed. You will never understand the truth of God without the Spirit of God. But with the Spirit of God, you will have the mind of Christ. And with the mind of Christ, you will understand the deep secrets that God has for you. You'll see why there's power in a cross. You'll understand why God at times allows difficult things to happen to really good people. You'll begin to understand why God sometimes says no to a prayer that seems so good. It's in the spirit that God will teach you those things.